This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, August 25th. Darnell Strom's professional path has wound its way all the way from politics to Hollywood, a trajectory that started with several globetrotting years working for former U.S. President Bill Clinton. Today, Darnell is a partner and the head of culture and leadership at entertainment agency UTA. Darnell represents totemic cultural figures, including Nobel Peace Prize laureate Malala Yousafzai and Vogue's Edward Enenfeld, as well as Giselle Bündchen and Michaela Cole. The breadth of his client roster reflects Darnell's thesis that captivating, culturally impactful people can come from anywhere. My definition of talent isn't just an actor and a musician and an athlete. It's also a well-known politician or an incredible activist or a rock star CEO or someone in fashion, an artist, etc. I want to be able to represent all those people. This week on the BOF podcast, I sit down with Darnell to talk about the future of cultural industries like fashion, media, and entertainment, 
and why they are becoming more interconnected than ever before. Here's Darnell Strom on the BOF podcast. Hi, Darnell. How are you? I am well. How are you, Imran? I'm so excited that we can have this conversation because you and I have started to get to know each other in the last few years and our paths just keep intersecting more and more and more. And in a way, that's an indication of the topic for today's conversation, which is how culture, just writ large, is converging. And you're such an important and interesting player in the intersections of all of these cultural spheres. But before we do all of that, we need to get to know your backstory first. And the backstory you have, kind of fascinating, because you started your career not anything to do in the talent world, but in the world of politics. And you studied political science in college. Talk to me a little bit about the early days of Darnell and what you were excited and passionate about. It's interesting because I think some politicians think of themselves as talent. So it was probably a, uh, an early testing ground for me to the talent business. But I grew up in San Jose, California, in the Bay Area, in the heart of the Silicon Valley. And, you know, I was a 90s kid. So I loved politics. I was a big political nerd. And I grew up on like MTV and music videos, a deep love of like 90s hip hop and TV and film. I think it was just like the golden age of pop culture and even politics because, you know, Bill Clinton was a young U.S. president and was like playing the saxophone in Arsenio Hall and doing MTV Forum. So it was just this really interesting time. And my interests were both politics and pop culture. And they both stayed with me. And I remember there was a magazine that came out called George Magazine. It was uh, JFK Jr.'s magazine. And it was set out to purposely put together those two worlds. And I was like, oh, this is what my brain is. Uh, You know, we combine on that. And so I remember the first cover was you know, Cindy Crawford in 95, she's the biggest model in the world, dressed as a high fashion George Washington shot by her Brits. And it all just kind of made sense to me. So, you know, as you mentioned, I, I went on to college in Florida at Florida A&M University, which is historically black college, and studied political science because the route into politics seemed much more understandable into the route into entertainment and media. I just didn't know how one even got into those worlds. I understood it as a consumer. I consumed a lot of the content, but didn't understand how one could ever work in those spaces. And politics was kind of everywhere. So as a political science major, was meant to go off to law school, but deferred a year and got this amazing fellowship in President Clinton's office. He had just left the White House and moved to Harlem and was building his post-presidency work. So just had this amazing experience. And at that time, Growing up as a kid, politically, President Clinton was just someone that I always admired. So the idea of at 22 years old, I would be working in his office didn't seem like a reality, but um, had an amazing opportunity to help on fact-checking and research on his autobiography that he was working on and supporting the fundraising team that was uh, building his presidential library. I mean, he's such a totemic figure, not just in politics, but in culture writ large. And obviously, there was a lot of controversy around him when he was leaving the White House. What did you learn from him? There's so many things. Uh, you know, I never ended up going to law school or, or or business school like I had I had planned because I felt like the years that I worked for President Clinton was a master's degree in so many different things. One was the way that people connect with him and the way that he listens to people and really can feel their pain, their their emotions, understanding what their need is. And you know, again, being in the representation business now those skills come in handy of like, how do you really read and see and understand people and help deliver what it is that they want? 
He's also one of the most brilliant minds that I've ever been around, a voracious reader, like a brain like an encyclopedia, a work ethic like I hadn't seen before. And in a different iteration of my time working with him after the fellowship, you know, I worked on the Democratic Convention in Boston in 04 and John Kerry's presidential campaign. But I ended up coming back to work for Clinton full time as one of his uh, head schedulers. And I traveled the world with him. And that's really what kind of opened up my perspective of how these worlds converge together, because he was a former president. So his networks were, yes, world leaders and political leaders, but it was also titans of industries and head of the entertainment world and, and celebrities and CEOs and everything in between. And being in that scheduling role, anyone who was spending meaningful time with him had to deal with me one way or another. So, you know, the, the kind of nerd brain in me, I just was like having a lot of fun meeting, you know, really interesting people. It's like Bob Iger calls one day and another person calls another day. And I'm just like, wow, these are all folks that I've looked up to for a very long time. So it was very formative. That sounds absolutely insane at that age to have that kind of experience. And, you know, anyone who's spent any time around those kind of figures or even in their wake, you just see what happens, right? Like just doors open. There's so much magic that happens in those elite circles, right? And I guess that's one of the things I want to talk to you about today, because as a black man, you said, you you know, Texas A&M was a historically black college. What was it like moving in those kinds of elite circles back then. You know, we're talking like quite a long time ago now. The world is a different place today. My fellowship with, with Bill Clinton was 20 years ago this summer. So I was 22 years old. Growing up, you know, San Jose is a, a diverse city. I've been around all races, ethnicities, religions, but I'd never been around levels of wealth and power and influence like I was once I got into those levels of the political world. And there are moments where it's just complete imposter syndrome. And you're like, what am I doing here? I just don't want to embarrass myself. I just don't want to look like a fool. And then there was moments too of kind of like calm and like, well, I'm here for a reason. There's something that I must have done right, even if I don't know what that is at this point. Just embrace and lean into the experience and opportunity and treat everyone like they're a normal person because they are. And that was always my point of view is that I don't want to, you know, fan out on people or think someone is better than another because they have a certain level of power or wealth or, or platform. But at the end of the day, when you really connect and bond with people, it's the same way you connect and bond with a random stranger that you might meet at a bar or on the subway. We're all people at its core. And I've always tried to remember that. But there were definitely these moments of complete freak out of, do I even belong in these spaces? So tell me then, Darnell, you're in this really incredible position, exposed to all these world leaders, titans of industry. You're in this like great role. Why make the switch to talent agency? How did that happen? So I traveled the world with President Clinton for about three years on the scheduling side of things. And that was a great experience. And I met a lot of amazing people. But it is quite daunting. It is a brutal, brutal schedule to keep up with both managing all of it from the scheduling perspective, but also the physical toll on the travel. And so I moved over into the fundraising side of things, the Clinton Foundation, uh, which was great because I got to use the relationships that I was able to make from the scheduling side to help build new fundraising relationships. And I was starting to spend more time in L.A. because we had a lot of donors in L.A. And those donors were the big wigs in L.A., which happened to be, you know, the heads of the agencies, heads of the studios, uh, media moguls. And I got very close with some folks at CAA. And I was known to shake some people down for money to fundraise. And uh, I think that skill 
resembled a quality skill to have in, in, in an agent. So I ended up uh, after a number of conversations with him, moved over in 2010. So that's almost 14 years ago and had kind of a really interesting nine year experience while I was there. But the first couple of years was working in the foundation because I had this background in politics and social impact. And my way in was, okay, great work with a number of our amazing clients on helping them figure out what they wanted to do in the social impact space. And at that time, the president of the United States was President Obama, who I had met when he was a state senator at the Democratic Convention back in 2004 and had maintained a close relationship with his team and was on the the White House's Entertainment Council. So helped play a role of being a go-between as our clients wanted to have a relationship with President Obama's administration and President Obama, who did this so well, leveraging the power of storytelling and pop culture to help push the narrative and the agenda of the things that he was trying to get done as president. So those worlds kind of came together. Again, another example of convergence between politics and culture. And, you know, the plan was always to become an agent. So I did that for a couple of years. But while working with a number of different talent, I studied every aspect of their business, not just the philanthropic side, which came easy to me, but I wanted to know how Dwayne Wade's basketball contracts worked and his endorsements worked. Or if I was working with, you know, someone else, I wanted to know every, uh, an actor or a filmmaker, how did it all work? How did it all come together? And just learned all the different aspects of the agency. And it kind of hit me. I was like, wow, these agencies really do so many different things. But there was also kind of an epiphany moment where, especially there where I was, is that it's also very siloed out there aren't people who kind of work across all of these different areas. And because I had just been coming from a world where I was seeing all these convergences happen, I was like, well, there could be an interesting route if I could play a role where I can sign all types of people. Because my definition of talent isn't just an actor and a musician and an athlete. It's also a well-known politician or an incredible activist or a rock star CEO or someone in fashion, an artist, et cetera. And I was like, I want to be able to represent all those people. Well, that's an unusual entry point into the agency world because usually people like kind of lore as you start in the mailroom, right? Right. Which I was like too far in my career at that point. I was like, I'm not going into the mailroom. I'm not going to be anybody's assistant. I was like, if I'm coming over, I need to come over as an executive or an agent or this isn't going to work. And, you know, shout out to all of my colleagues and people who are going through the the mailroom grind. It is a challenge. But, you know, there is a special experience that comes from that as well. But I think as the business grows and evolves, you can't just grow people through the traditional system. You've got to bring people in from the outside world that has different perspectives. And so um, I was fortunate that I was able to kind of enter that way or else we wouldn't be having this conversation. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. We have all sorts of listeners all around the world who might not even know what a talent agency does. You know, you meet someone at a dinner party who's never heard of UTA or CAA or any of these agencies? Like, how do you explain what you actually do? It's a great question. And my mom probably still doesn't know what I do. And I've explained it a hundred times. But at the end of the day, a lot of people ask me this question, like politics and entertainment seems so different. How did you kind of thread that, that needle? And I said, well, when you're working in politics, right, if you're the actual public servant, the politician, you're there to be of service of your community, of your constituents. And you're there to use the resources that you have access to to make sure that they thrive and they're successful. When you're a staffer to a political person, it's the same type of thing. You want to make sure that you're helping to make that public servant the best that they can be so they can utilize those resources. I think it's very similar as an agent on the talent side. It's like you're finding talent and people that you believe in and you're using 
all of your resources and connections and relationships to help support them to grow their platform to the largest possible places. I also have been looking at the similarities recently between agencies and the venture world as well, right? If you're a venture capitalist, it's a similar type of thing. You have access to a set of knowledge and resources, and you're looking for talented founders to invest in and using those resources to help them kind of grow and build their businesses in the ways that they want to see it. So in the service business, you're really there to help find the opportunities that help them build to where they want to build. But, you know, I think traditionally agents have been seen and known as kind of being more transactional. And I consider myself a builder, someone who's creative minded. I am not as creative as our, our, our clients are, but understand creativity and really want to be a partner strategically with them on building a roadmap of thinking about the kind of 360 view of what the world looks like for them from a business perspective, and then utilizing the many resources we have as an agency to be able to expand and help them grow into those spaces. We'll be right back with more on the BOF podcast. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. 
The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So after nine years at CAA and kind of establishing and developing, sort of translating your skills as a political staffer into talent agent, you decided to make kind of a big move. And in the kind of pantheon of agencies in Hollywood, if I understand correctly, the big guns, the really big guns are CAA and WME. And UTA is this kind of disruptive upstart that's kind of gaining ground. And what motivated you to make the switch from like one of the big established, I mean, it's not like UTA is not established, but you know, the, one of the dominant agencies to kind of UTA. I think the landscape of agencies was was changing very quickly throughout my nine years at CAA. And, you know, UTA, which is, you know, one of the big three agencies, I was always watching what they were doing because they were making so many interesting moves. And what I loved about UTA was how they kind of moved a bit different, super entrepreneurial, super innovative, always the first to the new emerging businesses. They were the first ones to take on digital when people thought social media and digital influencers or all those things were just not serious. They saw that those platforms are very serious and that the stars that were emerging from those platforms are going to become real players. And so that's why till this day, UTA has the biggest digital business out of any of the agencies. And they were the first to it. You know, as the podcasting world has boomed, UTA is the first into the audio space before anyone else was doing it. Venture, really building businesses around clients and having just a great core group of incredible artists that they represented as writers and actors and musicians. And all of that was continuing to grow and grow and grow and scale. And I always found that it was, you know, an interesting place. And as I was making the decision to leave CAA, the siloed out nature of the business of the agency world traditionally, and I felt it very much so when I was there, was always challenging for me. I never wanted to be put in a box. Everyone's like, oh, Darnell's the political guy, right? Or he's the, he's the foundation guy, right? And I was like, well, sure, but I'm also the fashion guy and the art guy and the talent guy and the tech guy. I was like, I have relationships in all of those worlds and want to sign the most interesting people from all those worlds. And it always was a challenge, I think, making it make sense, though I had a decent amount of latitude. It just never felt like I was in a position to truly spread my wings. And so when I left, I was I was thinking about a number of different opportunities. Do I even want to be an agent in the first place? I remember I sat with Jeremy Zimmer and Jay Sura. So Jeremy's the, the CEO of UTA and, and Jay, who's the vice chairman now, and both of whom were like, what is it that you want to do? And I said, you know what? I want to represent the most interesting and influential people across culture. And I don't care if they come from TV and film or if they come from sports and music or if they come from art or fashion or if there's, you know, some interesting people from politics or social impact or health and wellness and food, like all of those major buckets of culture. I want to represent the most interesting and influential and transformative people atop of each one of those buckets and then really drill down with them to build a strategic plan in a business and thinking about who are the ones who have the interest, the audience, the engagement to expand their platforms and verticals. So developing content strategy, what do you want to do in TV, film, books, podcasts, 
What do you want to do differently with brand partnerships? Thinking about live events and experiential opportunities that we can create and own and build, venture opportunities, consumer products, all of those different things of how do we build like real media companies and uh, businesses around our clients and focus in on those people where, you know, previously I was kind of in the volume business where you have, you have so many clients and it's just very hard to be proactive. You feel very reactive on a day-to-day basis. It's creatively stifling because you don't have the headspace to actually think and ideate on behalf of your clients. And so basically created a system where we can have less clients, but that make a bigger impact and, and hopefully grow bigger businesses. And so that's what I had pitched to them. And they were very supportive and have been since I've been there. But the conversation that I had when I was thinking about structuring the types of clients that I wanted to work with is... I remember I was at Art Basel in, in 2018 and I had lunch with my old friend, Virgil Abloh. And so Virgil and I had known each other. We actually met in 2005. So this is before he was the Virgil that everyone would come to know. We had a mutual friend who was Virgil's college roommate and Virgil was living in Chicago at the time and he would come to New York all the time. We'd hang out and we became buds. And then obviously he just kind of ascended to just astronomic heights. And he and I would always stay in touch over the years. And we sat at Art Basel and I told him, I was like, this is what I'm thinking. And he was like, you know what? This is what you should do. He's like, you should set up this division. He's like, and you should be representing like people like me, people who are multi-hyphenates, people who understand that there are no kind of walls between these worlds of, of culture and want to build businesses and create communities around all of that. So we had this great kind of back and forth and it got my mind racing in a way that only conversations with Virgil could do. And I decided to go to UTA and we set up the business in that in that way. And it's been four and a half years and we've had some great success and we have amazing clients. And, you know, it wasn't until 2020 that Virgil and I finally started to work together and we were, you know, kind of really cooking up some amazing projects. And I'd get off a of Zoom with Virgil and I would just go for a walk because I had just so much energy pent up from he was just do these kind of creative dumps. And yeah, it was he's just an amazing person who's not only shaped the way that I look at clients that I want to represent and the way that we do our business but also will just kind of remain a, a creative and inspirational force for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was also obviously fortunate to get to know Virgil pretty early on. He really laid out a vision for you. And it's amazing to see how really actualized and realized that vision that he, you know, you guys discussed back at Art Basel. And perhaps what, what would be interesting to do now is to kind of make it all more concrete. So probably one of your clients that lots of people who listen to this podcast know is Edward Enenfold, who, you know, has been a figure in the fashion industry now for many decades. But in terms of a talent managed by an agency like UTA, that was like a, a new phenomenon, right? Like, I don't know if Anna Wintour or Glenda Bailey or any of these other magazine editors had talent agents. Talk to me a little bit about how you started working with Edward and, you know, the strategy that the two of you laid out together and how you went about accomplishing it. Again, going back to this idea of the evolving definition of, of talent, I had known of Edward's work from years ago, but, you know, there was this amazing Washington Post profile on him uh, that I read in 2018. And it really just kind of put together all of his work and genius over his 30 year career in fashion in a way where I was like, this guy is so talented, so creative, so smart, and is someone that I would like to work with because I think 
if we work together, there's so much more that he can do. And by the way, he would accomplish it whether with me or, or, or without me. But I think that he and I have created this incredible working relationship and, and bond. But I just think that he is a, a creative genius. And beyond the creativity, I just look at the work that he's done at British Vogue. Him being chosen for the role was historic and, you know, I think unexpected to some people. And I think he kind of brought a perspective of, I'm going to bring my creative talent and genius with me. I'm going to bring my network of amazing people with me, both colleagues that he brought in to work with or his, you know, massive fashion, talent, celebrity, music network of amazing people that he's built over the years. And then also bring his worldview into that perspective as well, which is a Ghanaian immigrant and growing up in a very diverse part of London and seeing so many cultures and ethnicities and shapes and sizes of people. And that's always stayed with him. And there's this myth in every business that we, we face it in Hollywood all the time too, that this idea of diversity or inclusion or representation isn't something that can sell globally, right? It's, an, it's a nice thing from a moral conversation, but the business case is challenging. And I love that he challenged that myth and proved it wrong because I think people thought, especially in fashion, that if you go representative or inclusive or diverse, that means in your magazine like British Vogue, which is aspirational and luxury, that you have to go down market in order to do that. And he was like, no, no, no. We will show that we can create a magazine that makes so many more people feel included, that keeps the same level, if not a higher level of aspiration, more beautiful creativity and luxury you worked at McKinsey, you've got a business mind, you know, I'm not an economics professor, but if you grow your customer base and they're more bought into what it is that you're doing, the business is going to grow and scale. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, beyond the business growing and creating a cultural relevance that that magazine hadn't seen and maybe ever, I think that he's done such an incredible job of, of transforming not only the fashion journalism, but I think the fashion industry in general, because if you look at catwalks and runways and fashion campaigns and what they look like now versus before he took over, it's very clear that uh, he's had a major, major impact. But as his agent, as a person helping to manage his career, like what role do you play in the background? What are the things that you're encouraging him to do or the kinds of partnerships or initiatives that you're presenting to someone like Edward so they go beyond being just a fashion editor? It is all about how do you continue to grow the platform and reach more and more people? How do you engage a larger audience? And so the fashion audience is very familiar with Edward, but our goal was to make sure that people outside of the fashion world, people in tech, people in entertainment and media who may not have known him as a household name, understood who he is and how his point of view and his creative vision can touch multiple different things and areas. And I think one of the big ideas that we had was getting Edward to put out his book last year, A Visible Man. Because I was like, you know, storytelling is so powerful. It is the thing that shapes hearts and minds that can move people. And he has such an amazing story and he hadn't really told it in the full way. And him putting those words down and, and into the book and then going on the tour and, and really getting the word out in his story and also traveling with him during that time and seeing what the rooms look like of who was coming out to see him. You know, I remember he launched the book at uh, an event at the South Bank Center in London. And you have a 75-year-old posh white man sitting next to a, you know, 20-year-old South London fashion student and everything in between. And that's who he represents. It's just this kind of large diaspora of people. And so I think 
the book kind of continued to expand him into different areas, which is a big part of the strategy. There were a lot of other things to do from partnerships and other things, also working within the confines of what he can and cannot do because uh, he does have a day job, right? So it is finding that balance of being impactful when the moments come. And I think the, the book is a, is a great example of that. So when we think about people like Edward, who kind of come from the fashion world and then in a way transcend fashion, because Edward's not just a fashion figure now, he's a cultural figure. Or we think about someone like Pharrell, who's come from the world of music, but he now transcends music. He's become a wider cultural figure. How do you see this convergence playing out going forward? Like there's been so much movement and change around it in the last few years. You know, the last time I think you and I saw each other in person was at Pharrell's Louis Vuitton show. Like that felt like an inflection point. It felt like something shifted there. Where do you think this is all going? I think that that show was kind of a culmination of a lot of things that have been brewing, you know, and to take it back to Virgil for a second, right? I think Virgil was really the first to kind of break down those doors. But, you know, Virgil was a designer. He obviously had Off-White and Pyrex before that and touched so many different worlds from DJing to art. But his appointment at Vuitton in 2018 was such a seismic shift. I think that was really the start of all of these things that we've seen happen over the last number of years. And I think Pharrell, who talks about this and talks about Virgil as, as an inspiration, you know, has taken that torch and is continuing to take it to the next level. And that show was a culmination of all of those worlds. You know, you, you look in, I think the other thing too is when I was at that show and I was looking around and I was seeing Jay-Z and Beyonce and I was seeing Rhee and I was seeing LeBron James and I was seeing all of these amazing, successful artists, entrepreneurs, athletes, it was also a celebration of Black culture and how Black culture drives the overall culture. And in this instance, it's obviously benefiting Louis Vuitton and LVMH, but you know, it is a recognition that it is that culture that is very marketable. And instead of it being taken in a lot of ways, how we can be involved in that in that process and and bring people into the table. And you know, and hopefully too, I think from there there are more things in luxury, in fashion, in beauty that are owned by the culture and not necessarily by other places. But I think we're hopefully moving towards that. But yes, there is something that is happening. Even I think Pharrell at LV is a great example of it. But even you're seeing it with sports and in fashion. You know, obviously LVMH is going to be a platinum sponsor of the Olympics. You have sports leagues and teams now hiring creative directors, many of whom have come from fashion or, or art. Crystal Palace just hired a, a creative director, becoming the first of the Premier League teams to, to do it. You know, you've got Ronnie Feig from Kith, who's the creative director of the New York Mix now. You know, you're seeing more of these things happen. And the reason why is because this convergence of culture, the most exciting and impactful things that are happening, not just from like a content or consumer perspective, but even from a business perspective, like where the real magic and where the heat is happening is in these collaborations, is in these partnerships. And so you know, from a business perspective, you see that happening. I think more and more people are trying to wrap their heads around it. 12 years ago, when I was early on as an agent and I looked around and saw how all of these worlds were siloed out, I was like, no, I was like, our clients want to be doing more. They're expanding into doing more things. Why wouldn't we change the way that we agent? And so, you know, I think as you look at the marketplace, both in fashion and entertainment and media, everything is moving at such a fast rate. And if you're doing the job the same way you did 10 years ago, 
you're going to get left behind. And so I think the future of culture is convergence, which we're seeing now, but I think it's just the beginning of it. I think the next 10 years is going to be fascinating. I think the future of my job of agenting is, is less transactional and more strategic, bigger swings, figuring out ways to collaborate. How do you pull your networks together and provide the best resources for our talent to be able to grow and expand? And, you know, it's a very fun time. To what extent, Darnell, do you think that this convergence has been accelerated by social media, Instagram in particular? Like, I think about all of these cultural spheres, and before you'd have to read like Sports Illustrated, Rolling Stone, Vogue, all of these cultural spheres had their own media universe. And what Instagram has done is it's brought it all into the same place. So like, you don't even have to be a, like a die-hard music fan to know who Rosalia is because you might have first come to know Rosalia because of her incredible fashion looks. And so like Instagram seems to be like the super highway where all of these cultural worlds are colliding and, and, and mixing and coming together and creating this very unique moment. Absolutely. I think Instagram has kind of scaled it at such a rapid rate, but I think it started with YouTube. If you go back... 15 years ago, 12 years ago. I remember I gave a talk, I think it was in 2012 or 2013, and people were wondering, how do we break into the entertainment industry? And I was just talking about how technology is changing, where, you know, before, just how you mentioned those magazines and publications, like on the entertainment side, it was like the studios and networks, they're the gatekeepers of who can have a show on TV or who can have a movie made and who's going to be famous and who's not going to be famous. And what YouTube did was kind of democratize distribution. So, you could have a random filmmaker who's sitting in their home in Iowa, uh, who's very talented, but would probably never break into Hollywood in the right way, who can start putting out their own short films and building their own community and building their own audience. And then as that built more and more, they've created a fever pitch that now, instead of you wanting to go to Hollywood and see if they'll you know, knock on their door, they're coming to knock on your door. Social media has just democratized the distribution of discovery. So we saw it with YouTube and then Instagram just made it so much easier, more digestible and beautiful because it started off with photos, which we all look to look at and then short form video. And now, you know, I talk to like fashion bloggers and influencers sometimes who come from places that you wouldn't expect before because now they're able to see, oh, what are the trends going on in Tokyo? What are the trends going on in Korea? What are the trends that are going on in South Africa? Where are the trends? You're able to see it all in one place now where before it was all in its own pockets, or you had to find it through the gatekeepers of the, of the major media companies. So I think that's made it interesting and exciting and more accessible to people. So Darnell, for all of the people listening out there who want to have someone like you manage their career, who see themselves as a potential talent, what do you look for now, you and your colleagues at UTA? Because obviously you can't represent anyone, but what makes a great potential talent in 2023? It's hard to kind of give exact detail. You know, it's kind of a feeling that you have, right? It's where, I mean, some people are just undeniable. It's like at this point in my career, you know, I would like to represent some of the biggest names who have great platforms. I think because so many of the way agenting has been done in the past, it's like, oh, great, your bread and butter right now is making movies and your point agent is a film agent. Then we're the ones who's running the team kind of incentivized to make sure that you're making as many movies as possible. And yes, sure, if you want to do some of that other stuff, that's fine. What I loved about UTA is that it was always been about collaboration and how do you expand clients. And you know, where I was before, it was like very much driven by the, the talent agents. 
And so, you know, the clients that I'm looking for are ones that have a global appeal, that have an audience, that have an engagement, that are kind of transformative in a certain way. I remember when I started representing Michaela Cole, she's just someone who you look at Michaela, well, one, you watch her work and you're like, whoever created this is a genius. And I think she's a generation defining talent as an actress and as a writer and as a producer. But the fashion world loves her because, you know, she has a creative edge about her that's so interesting that the fashion world has always embraced. It's the reason why she was co-chair of the Met Gala this year. But she's someone that I think has that thing and, and, and working with a great supportive strategic team is able to kind of scale uh, and grow uh, into more areas when that desire is there. So, but yeah, I, it, it's hard to describe exactly what it is, but I do think it is people who are really challenging culture that have a talent that is really broadening the way that people creatively view the world. And whether that is coming from being a filmmaker or being a designer, uh, people who are extending and pushing the conversation. I think in the same way that Edward pushed the conversation around diversity and inclusion and business, but also was giving us unbelievably creative and smart looks. It's those two worlds coming together. What's your purpose? What drives you? It's more than just the business. It has to be about a larger impact for me. The way I think audiences and like wider communities out there engage with these kinds of people is so now rooted in connecting with them in a deeper way than then just being like a fan that watches from the outside. Like social media has also created this like level of intimacy between talent and the people who follow them, who aspire to be like them, who respect them as individuals and as human beings. And that's more connected to purpose than it is to simply having connecting with someone who's famous. When I look down the list of the clients that I represent, and even if they're not, like look, I represent Malala, who the world knows her as an activist and is in social impact. So I think people expect her to have purpose, you know, but when you're representing talent who comes from TV or film or from music or from fashion, I think the through line for everyone, whether it be an Edward, whether it be someone like Carly Kloss, who was so fascinating in her own right, who kind of came up as a model off the heels of the supers and then the Giselles of the world. And then Carly was like the big model of her generation. And it was right at the cusp of the kind of Instagram growth. And so you have models who are being discovered in other areas, whether that be from social media platforms, whether that be because, you know, they come from famous families or whatever it is, they became, she she was able to kind of grow a following and also understand the traditional way of being a model. And then was very early on cared about technology and coding and looked at the landscape and said, well, if the future of business and the economy is in tech and 85% of the people who work in tech are men, then what does that mean for women? And so, you know, kind of inspiring people through that. So, you know, there's always that other thing that I think really is the driver. Well, luckily, I'm very grateful that we've had a lot of these talents featured on BOF at some stage and take part at BOF Voices. So for those of you interested in learning more about some of the people that Darnell's been working with, we have incredible talks by Malala and Virgil and Carly Kloss and Edward, all historically who've been part of our universe. And Darnell, thank you so much for talking to us about you know your personal journey and how you ended up doing what you're doing. I agree with you. I think the next 10 years, as culture continues to converge on a global level, it's going to be really fascinating. It seems like there's going to be tons of opportunity for you as you continue to build out this new division or not so new division at UTA. 
Well, th- thank you for, for having me and, and thank you for the work that you've been doing, Imran, because I think BOF has, has been on the forefront of highlighting these voices and telling these stories, like you said, and we look forward to doing more stuff together. And uh, I just appreciate the time today. Amazing. Have a lovely evening over in Los Angeles and hope to cross paths with you soon. Enjoy your holiday. You deserve it. Thank you so much. Yeah, for everyone listening, I'm going to be off on holiday for a bit soon. No weekly briefing from me, but we've pre-banked some podcast episodes to keep you all connected. The BOF Podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF Studio team. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person, too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. (coughs) Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.